Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. You know, I actually forgot to tell you this, but um, so when I got the new gym equipment and I set it up, uh, I, I set it up. And as I'm setting up, my neighbor comes out and goes, oh, you're, you're going to start working out? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, did you used to work out? He goes, yeah, I had 500 pounds worth of cast iron plates in my backyard, but somebody just stole it all. And I just he says that and it goes completely silent. And I just stare at all the equipment that's here on the carport. And I'm like, is this going to get stolen? Did I just go through all this trouble getting this equipment just for it to get stolen? And now I feel like uh, I'm a parent, a parent to the weight room, because like every like, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, if I have time, I just kind of like poke my head out. Like, is it still there? I would the be fear. overprotective. Right. It's just even the thing not to mention, like I had to utilize a old school like Ford truck, the ones that don't go past 85. And if you go 85, you're redlining. I had to drive that all the way down to gardens, which is about 20, 30 minutes away. Um, if you're going normal speed. So it was, it was like, eh, it's about an hour, you know, like, and then, then I had to load it up, bring it home. It was a big ordeal for it to all just get stolen in a night. I would, I would just give up on everything, but you got it for cheap. So yeah, 350 bucks, man. That Definitely before we get into the actual topic, that's a great thing to mention. If you're looking for a, a home gym, yeah, look at Facebook Marketplace. It's unbelievable what people are trying to get rid of for like the like the cheapest prices ever. You know. Oh yeah. Um, and now that you mentioned that, um, we finished the the Amazon list for the budget rehab gym. So we'll share that in our page sometime soon. I don't know when. <laughs> mm -hmm. Would you Would you personally have a home gym that you would utilize day in and day out? Because I know you and I. When we were working out at Elite, where it was basically a box gym uh, with limited gym equipment when it came to the machine work, um, I know personally I was missing the pulleys. I was missing like all the things that we can utilize to kind of crush um, accessory work. Would you personally work out at home? I think that working out at the gym is more beneficial for me because if I get home after a long day of work, and I have a home gym. That's the last thing that I'm going to want to do. <laughs> gotcha. Just because I'm at home. It's not the same environment. But I, with that being said, I'll definitely have a home gym. But it's not going to be my main lifting gym. I'll probably mm -hmm. use it a couple days per week. Like for some extra volume. And for my significant other. But for me, it'll be all for filming content. And for the days where I'm like really short on time. And I only have mm -hmm. like 20, 30 minutes. I'll do some work there it's uh, so i'll definitely have one but it's not going to be my staple gym i guess yeah yeah i think that That's working good. out at a gym is different dude <laughs> it is it definitely is and it's a psychological thing right like a lot of people had nothing but time during covid right it's not like everybody came out shredded <laughs> you know exactly it's a psychological thing where it's just like when you go to the gym it's almost like a ritual, right? You get in the car, you know, you have your music. Some people have their pre-workout or coffee, you know, so you're kind of like gearing up and you get into this different environment where you only go in the same mental state that you always go in, which is I'm ready to crush it, right? Oh, yeah. um, it's it's kind of hard to do that at home. I'm, I'm going to play around with it. I'll, I'll keep you in mind when it comes to uh, 
rituals. I'm going to see because my ritual, my ideal ritual is I'm going to wake up, drink coffee. And as I'm drinking my coffee, I'm warming up at like 6 a.m. I know you're not a morning worker. You're going to work out in the morning? Uh huh. Yeah, that's, that's the reason why I wanted to do it. Well, because I'm I'm commuting uh, about thirty minutes north, you and then I have a that I get I get off shift at six, so I'm gonna get work home at, at like eight. seven. What workout at eight? Yeah, that's gonna be great with the misses, right? <laughs> you want finish up you, at nine. You want quality time with me? Go ahead and sit down here while I lift. Watch me lift. You know, that's a, that's also a good thought process is that like having a home gym. Yes, it you know has all these benefits where you don't have to drive there and, and whatnot. Um, but it's also like it creates a community or a culture in your household. Right. Like if your kids like w- grow up seeing the weight room, like what you were supposed to do on a daily basis, it's no longer a barrier of entry. Some people like never go to the gym or never did when they were younger. So they just don't go when they're older. they're they're afraid that they're going to look stupid or whatnot so that's another thing i think like that's why i'm gonna try to make this into like a family thing i'm gonna get all the nieces and nephews over i'm like you need to learn the basics give them a couple of trend sandwiches with pb and j you're gonna be jacked (laughs) by 10 years old i'm gonna have like the the world's strongest like under 10 years old lifting team (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's funny Oh man! So the the topic of the day, Raul, was uh, how you and I would personally go through a ideal history taking and consultation with patients. So I think it would be best to kind of just go through it mentally as like you know they walk through the door. What what are you going to do? So on and so forth, like that kind of like in a timeline management. Um, would you agree? Is it you want to do it like that? Uh, sure. I mean, we can attack it in a million different ways, but that's fine. Okay. So, I, think I mean, I just, so like, go ahead. Well, what, what would be the first thing that you were thinking about when somebody walks through the door? I think I was just going to say before that, that f- when I get, let's say we graduate, um, I won't have anything by surprise because I'm going to require prior paperwork done. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to fill out like a questionnaire where they're going to tell me, what's happening and their prior history, blah, blah, blah. So it's not going to be a surprise. I already know what I'm mm-hmm. going to deal with. So that's different than somebody coming through the door and I with me having no idea. So those are right. two different scenarios. Right. Um, and, and that's there's a benefit to that. When you have somebody sit down and write down what's going on, it's twofold. One, when they have the time to sit down and explain what's going on, there's it's very clear. You know, because they had to sit down and write it and explain it. And also, it's a, to me, a good barrier of entry, meaning like, are you serious about this? Because if you're going to sit down and write everything that's going on and explain the quote unquote, not the best client fit would probably say, I'd just rather go somewhere if that makes sense. And also, I think it's better because if the paperwork is done before them coming to your clinic or to Mm -hmm. telehealth or whatever. Um, you have the time when they come in to just ask them what's going on and you don't got to have them the whole OPPQRSCA, you know, that yeah. that's done. And seeing the paperwork, you can kind of rule out red flags and on the yeah. conversation, you will also rule out the other red flags. So mm-hmm. the paperwork is done. You already know what they're dealing with. And it's just like, so tell me what's going on. What's been bugging you? And that's like a better conversation instead of just looking at a paper and asking them like so where did it start what makes it better what makes it worse and it's more of a conversation which is 
more of the vibe that I like and it's better for motivational interviewing and that doctor patient mm -hmm. relationship and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you get out all the, cause you know, it's important what they, what the questions you're going to ask are obviously going to be high value, but you can always front load them via paperwork. And then you can just focus on lifestyle factors through a conversation because you and I both know, like letting them explain everything about their pain or what's experienced, like what they're currently experiencing could be kind of convoluted, right? It can just kind of last a very long time. And it's just like, wow, it's, been 30 minutes and you just finished right and we only have like an hour consultation so i really like that idea because if you have a great idea of what's going on prior to them coming in you can really ask calculated questions that would either prove what you think is going on or at least point you in the right direction where you can uh, modify their symptoms or at least give them something that they can do yeah you already have a general idea and then you can dig into the specifics on the conversation Mm -hmm. um, I was also going to say something else. Ooh. Oh, and also on our questionnaire, uh, we always like to ask, what are your expectations of working with us? Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge question to ask to every single client, <laughs> whether it's a, it's a surprise client that just walked in or if it's one that filled in the paperwork. I would always ask, what are the expectations? Because after they give you their answer that's uh, that opens the door for education if someone's expecting to be pain-free after this session well you got an important conversation to have with them mm -hmm. yeah that's a great point and you know we like we asked what's you know what success mean to you right because you know like if you just assume like oh this person only cares about pain only cares about pain you're gonna try to well first and foremost you have that huge conversation right but like let's say like we're just kind of now focusing on symptom modification versus if you have a conversation and they say well honestly a successful situation would be just like the ability to do xyz now the conversation kind of shifts and then the program shifts right um which you know this this kind of brings up a thought here is let's say somebody comes in right and they are completely focused on eradicating their pain which you and i both know it ebbs and flows it's kind of like if anybody promises that they're selling the book brooklyn bridge right but do you see yourself maybe creating a program that's maybe short-lived maybe only like a week or two where it's pure symptom modification just kind of almost to build a uh, rapport with the patient so I wouldn't build a program for 100% symptom modification, but I do take symptom modification considerations into my programming, and I probably mm -hmm. will program them, number one, for what I call feel-good movements. Whenever you're feeling symptoms, do this because it makes you feel better, or as warm-ups before they dig into like the real actual loading program. Um, mm -hmm. So I wouldn't do a program just for symptom modification, but I would still include it if I think it's beneficial for them, especially for the buy-in. But yeah, yeah, I'm not into the sh symptom modification alone game, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It, the, the, what I was thinking is the hypothetical, like, you know, the, the super difficult client where it just is like, you know, they're just super focused on getting out of pain. And it makes sense. Like, that's the the conversation of do we give the patient what they want or what they need, right? And you got to basically find that middle ground because you need the buy-in. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's basically how I would approach it. Um, I haven't experienced anybody so far where they're just super focused on pain relief. Maybe that's because of the conversations we had prior. 
Um, I, I like to use that phrase maybe just because I work with a lot of New Yorkers. I just um, I always say, like, I'm not going to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge here. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to be out of pain. But I can I can guarantee you that if we work on these movements, your function should improve because that's the principle of science behind it. Right. Yeah. With that, with that being said, I think that before we dig into more specific details, we should kind of explain our quote unquote rehab focus, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if you agree, but. It's basically rule out reflex, number one. And after that, <laughs> it's it's like we got to find certain activity modifications because mm -hmm. we want to take you. So, okay, what can you do and what can't you do and what do you want to do? And we got to figure out how to take you from point A to point B. And mm -hmm. that's what rehab's all about, um, focusing on function and the patient's goals instead of focusing on just being pain-free 100% of the time, which we know it's not a real actual goal because it's impossible mm -hmm. to obtain. Yeah. And, and if anybody's curious as to why, like, you know, why rehab, right? How I see it is this is not the only reason, but a very simplistic way to explain it is like we are musculoskeletal docs, right? Musculoskeletal components. We talk about the lack of movement and the, like maybe a deficit in that re regard, right? Well, we're not going to improve any deficits, If we are just doing passive modalities, there's no way because at the end of the day, I can rub down your your bicep until it's super tender, but it's not going to change anything because the problem arises when you're doing a movement underneath a particular load. Um, and there's obviously other reasons, right? But that's one of the, the, the stakes in the game. And I also don't think that everyone needs a rehab program. Mm hmm. Uh, right. contrary to popular belief uh, not everybody needs it um because if we're talking about pain dude honestly just a bit of activity modification and let time do its thing it'll probably get quote unquote fixed out but if the patient has a goal in mind and they do not know how to get there well that person probably would benefit more from a rehab program that's where we come in mm -hmm. right Yeah, and that's that's a great point. Not everybody likes to exercise. Another reason why I guess I, I always uh, favor the exercise or rehabilitation route is we're in an epidemic, man. And the epidemic is obesity and cardiovascular disease, right? And this is a number one way that not only can we start maybe trending towards a better lifestyle habit, but it's the perfect, I don't know, you would probably agree with this. It's Exercise is the perfect Uh, moment where the client is vulnerable and very receptive to the information that you can give them, right? Um, you know, for example, if somebody is feeling a little bit of pain, right? You utilize a symptom modification exercise, and then you begin to load the, the particular chief complaint. Not only are they feeling better, but now they're seeing intercession changes. I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but that definitely improves a lot of uh, rapport and therapeutic alliance. Now, what I'm getting at is this. This guy really knows what he's talking about. This guy is making me feel better and stronger within one session. I should listen to the other things that he has to say. And that's where I think that a lot of benefit comes from the modality of choice, which is exercise. Um, I see people kind of super receptive. I don't know about you, but like if you're trying to uh, get people to listen to your advice, but they're just kind of laying on a table and you're rubbing them down, I don't see the same receptive, them being as receptive as if they were exercising with me. Would yep. you agree? Yeah. And another reason to choose exercise over any other passive modality, uh, and this is specific to chronic pain, is that a lot of people with chronic or persistent pain um, 
are deconditioned and manual mm-hmm. therapy will not fix that. No amount of manual therapy or ART will fix that. But exercise alone will. So mm-hmm. I don't care if the data is weak when it comes to pain for both. Exercise will always be better than manual therapy because it has an effect on pain, but also on, on like a thousand of different factors. Um, so I think exercise will always be king over any other passive modality. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that there's this massive debate and you know what, I guess another thing that we can, we're kind of getting sidetracked here, but that's, that's us. Right. But um, the whole idea of like the rehabilitation world, even within that, the spectrum is so wide. Like if I see somebody called like the, the shoulder being rehabbed with the, the banded external rotations, I, I just, my mind explodes because it's just, it's just like a severe mismanagement of exercise prescription. It's just like a lot of times it's just like, Oh, my shoulder has general ache to it. You know, and most people don't ask why, what, what are you doing? How is your lifestyle changes? They just go, all right, hook this to the door. I want you to put a towel between your body and your elbow and then start doing external rotation of the shoulder because your rotator cuff is most likely the problem. It's just like that gross, um, cookie cutter approach to, and, and you're utilizing a terrible exercise choice to begin with is it's not rehab and it's it's bothers the hell out of me <laughs> yeah and sometimes exercise can also be done not incorrectly but it can be prescribed incorrectly and with that i mean that the narrative behind it is probably more important than the modality itself because mm-hmm. obviously we say oh manual therapy isn't great um the narrative behind it is but the same thing can be said about exercise if you tell someone that they need to do brace because if not their core is very weak and that's why they have lower pain that's still mm-hmm. shitty and even though it's exercise it's it's still not great you know because of the narrative behind it so i would say that even more important than exercise is the narrative behind everything that you do yeah that's a great point that's a very great point yeah I, there's a lot of people that uh I mean, being in the, the past internships that we both went through, you can definitely tell that some people are performing exercise where on paper, like, all right, great, you're moving, you're doing what you need to be doing, but they're doing it out of fear, you know? And like, you know, they, for example, some people are afraid to flex and extend because they have DJD, and, but they, to counteract that, they're walking a lot, they're doing all these things. So it's just like you need to dig deeper when having a conversation with a human being in front of you because it's not always as, as it seems. Um, to, to circle back, that's another great reason as to why you have all your hard hitting questions uh, kind of on paper. So this these other things that you can dig into, you can have a conversation because it takes time. And, you know, being in a 20 minute slot, it, you, you got to be very calculated with your word choice and your questioning. Right. Everything seems to be core instability and a tight period for me. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy and then like they all get the same stretch and it's just kind of like you know i i I, you you can probably contest to this it's just like you find that balance once again between what the patient's gonna do and what they need to do and for some reason they always find it to be some sort of stretch and it's just like most people get kind of inundated by the fact that most like they don't most typical clients don't want to move. So they don't even ask like, oh, are you willing to do an exercise? They just go straight to the stretch. And it's just like for me personally, uh, a stretch is a regression. It's a regression to me. Like it, if we have to, 
use it, do it. At least it's something. But at the end of the day, like it's never going to mirror a true exercise. Your, your heart rate's not going up. No muscular uh, traction or tension's going through that area. Just kind of just passively doing it. But yeah, have you had that issue or have you seen that issue where people are just automatically lowballing it? They're saying like, all right, just do the stretch and you should be fine. Yeah, if you see the majority of clinicians out there is just stretch this, stretch that. And it's the classic two or three same stretches for everything. Mm-hmm. cookie cutter approach oh man all right so all right let's let's talk about how you would probably start a conversation with a patient um they did all this work right and they did all this front loading where they answered everything that's going on you have a good idea of what the chief complaint is what provokes it so on and so forth and now you want to dig deeper however most patients aren't open right you got to start building some type of common ground or rapport so they feel uh, okay enough to start giving you details that actually matter. So what are some things that you like to do to start building rapport? Honestly, you, you just start building rapport as soon as you see the patient. Um, the whole smiling gestures and being friendly and all of that, that doesn't have to anything to do with being a clinician, still has all out to do with building that rapport. Patients mm-hmm. feel more comfortable with you. <laughs> look at their eyes when you're speaking and not look at everywhere except at them. Um, it's just, it's kind of like uh, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's kind of like conversation tactics alone that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with healthcare. That'll mm-hmm. make them feel more comfortable with you and probably share more information with you. And I would say just taking, how, how can I word this? Just being genuinely interested in them. Mm-hmm. And not in their money or anything and asking questions about them, about how's it going on, not only your pain, but how's life, how is it affecting your pain? Um, if you ask those good questions, they're going to feel like you actually care. And the mm-hmm. whole famous quote that says patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think mm-hmm. it, it has a lot of truth to it. So just take a genuine interest, interest in, in them and how they're being affected by their situation. And mm-hmm. the, the the conversation will just go from there. Um, I would do that instead of asking like, okay, so where's your brain? Can you point to it? And how would yeah. you rate it from zero to 10? That's not a lot of value, honestly. Yep. Yeah. I 100% agree. Um, in the last internship I had, I had to walk to get my patient and the patient and I would have to walk back to the treatment area. Now, it's probably like a, I mean, it's the longest walk of your life if this person doesn't want to talk, right? Because it's just an awkward, you guys are walking side by side until you get into the room. That being said, with HIPAA, you got to watch what you talk about, right? So this 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 timeline for me was pure personability. Like, how can I connect with you? So when we enter that room, it can just be the most fluent conversation possible, right? Um, I told you about this, Raul, is like this person was super reclused and didn't want to talk at all. But then I noticed that they brought in a Slytherin cup. And I was like, oh, I, I was just watching Harry Potter the other day. Are you into Harry Potter? And they opened up as if they didn't know how to stop talking, you know? And that one question built rapport to the point where that person was very comfortable to give me information that was sensitive material, right? Um, it's a great point that, you know, like you have to really build rapport very quickly. So you got that. Oh, another thing I do is like, you know, if this person, uh, I always, how would I say this? It's kind of like 
question roulette. You know, you kind of poke and prod until you you see that you piqued interest. You know, my my go tos. I mean, it sounds like I'm a, a broken record, but it works, right? I'll I'll say like, oh, did you catch the game last night? I'll keep it very vague. Did you catch the game last night? And then let them mention like, oh yeah, the Bucks. And I'm like, oh, football. They're into football. You know, like oh, the Rays, baseball, baseball. And then that that's easy ways for you to get the person talking, you know, like it, I'll tell you what, now when I first started doing it, it felt fake, right? It did feel fake. Cause I was like, I have to ask you this calculated question to get you to start talking to me so we can actually build on upon a genuine conversation. But if you don't talk to begin with, it's not ever going to go anywhere. So I guess the point of what I'm making is great podcasters make great conversationalists. Great conversations can make great clinicians because at the end of the day, you got to quickly poke and prot to figure out what they like to talk about so you can build rapport. I, I hope that makes sense. And not everybody uses the same tactics. Um, for example, mm -hmm. something that I usually do, uh, I just give patients compliments. Obviously, be careful if it's opposite sex of not sounding like weird <laughs> or awkward. But Hey, you're kind of hot. Hey, nice ass there. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I used to give patient compliments. Um, that's not something that doctors usually do. I And I liked to tell them jokes and nine times out of ten it worked they left um mm -hmm. and a secret that i also tell patients um and i tell this to my clients so i'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're my client but it's uh after the first day right i always tell them like oh how's my favorite patient doing and they're like oh like they start smiling and all of that and it's just those small details can make a huge or can uh, have a huge impact on that relationship with them. Oh yeah. The one thing I'm working on is, um, all right. So one of my fears is to call somebody their name and it's not their name and it's super awkward. Right. But it, I, the, the little bit that I've used it, you can see that they're, they're much more engaged in the conversation. If I said, I'll tell you what, Raul, you, oh, whoa, whoa, you know, my name, you know, like that type of thing. Cause a lot of people avoid using that because of the same fear. Right. And especially if you're a clinician and you're working with multiple clients in a very fast pace, it's very easy to slip up the name, you know, I think that's one of the first, um, topics that the, that famous book that I mentioned, um, mentions oh, really? call people by their name. It makes them feel yeah, like subconsciously special. pulled from that. Yeah. It makes them feel special. Oh, you remember my name. I, I read that back when the pandemic first hit back when like it was supposed to be two weeks. <laughs> yeah. A long time ago. It was a great book. A really good book. I might actually start thumbing through that again. It's, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, so what are some topics that you would or would not address on that first conversation? Um, that was part of the questions that the guy asked gotcha. us. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I there's, I don't know like what would be like red flag, like don't touch this topic. Um, but I would say is like the things I don't really focus on a lot when I'm talking with the patient, especially if I have all the information prior, is their actual pain. Like I don't speak upon the pain itself because at the end of the day, like I said, it goes and comes and goes, right? Um, what I would like to do is basically just focus upon what lifestyle factors are being affected. Uh, what can they can't what can they do what can't they do and what would they like to get back to right um there's that the the one thing i like to really cover my basis is who am i talking to as a per like from a person level uh how much do they know about their problem uh, like in regards to like how they can fix it 
And from there is like, how motivated are they? If I can cover those three bases amongst the conversation, you can build a, a, a very good rehab program. And then along the conference, along the way, because, you know, with us, we do the, the week by week training and stuff like that, or at least have a constant line of communication. If you kind of missed an important detail that they didn't tell you, you can always change that. But if you know how much they know, you know how motivated they are and you already have the general information you got prior, you can make a pretty comprehensive rehab program. Would you agree? Definitely. And something that I don't like to do, at least on the first couple of, on the first encounter, I really don't plan on having a lot of encounters with the same person, <laughs> um, is I never try to fix their quote unquote wrong beliefs because nobody likes that. Mm -hmm. um, I almost always ask clients what they think is going on. Um, and also before giving someone advice, because giving unsolicited advice is not not your friend, I ask them, are you open to a different perspective? And they're like, mm -hmm. sure. And then you can educate them. But if someone says, oh, I think I'm in pain because of my posture, and you just try to give them facts about how posture, a poor posture doesn't cause pain, blah, 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 they're not going to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would say be, be careful with that. Because as being new, new clinicians or almost clinicians and learning all of this stuff and research, it's easy to get lost and try to change everyone's beliefs, but mm -hmm. you shouldn't focus on that. <laughs> right, right. And in the calculated questions, as long as they don't come, like the delivery does matter of the question, um, you can kind of get them to think the way that you want them to think through just questioning have them answer you plant seeds right like for example this is just off off the dome here but like let's talk about the posture right and like somebody's just like oh well i try to keep posture all day you know and for some reason i still have a lower back problem and it's just like well if you know if you had to split up your day how often are you in the perfect posture and they'll, they'll give like some big number right and it's just like well if you're kind of nailing this like you're, you're most likely nailing the fact that you are in this posture all day do you think it's actually the fact that you're out of the posture for that small amount of time and then you just let it let it marinate and it just goes, oh, well, and then I always I always talk about like if I asked you to do a plank for three, four hours, <laughs> how are you going to feel? It's like pretty terrible. It's just like, well, we're still talking about muscular tissue here, tissue here, you know, yeah. it's just from front to back. Yep. So posture plant the seed. Yeah, exactly. Posture is a huge one. Um, and also something that a lot of other students ask me is, how do you explain pain to patients? And honestly, <laughs> if you asked me two years ago, I tried to explain everything. But the best thing you can do is try not to explain it. Because honestly, pain is whatever they feel. And mm -hmm. it's impossible to give it like a classic definition of pain. Um, mm -hmm. but I just tell them like, Hey, pain is very complex and a lot of things affect it. but here is what I think is going on with you and how we mm -hmm. can work on it instead of telling them, because if someone gets injured and you tell them, Oh, pain, uh, tissue doesn't tissue damage doesn't equal pain. And they're like, great. So what does that mean? What, how can I get better? So stuff like mm -hmm. that. I mean, it's good to know, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you tell your patients. Right. And right. there's not a cookie cutter approach. There's not a single quote unquote best analogy. It comes with practice. I think I've never used the same analogy because mm -hmm. the patients in front of you are always different. And if someone's a basketball player, I'll probably explain pain and what's going on using a basketball analogy and not a baseball analogy because they don't care about baseball. 
Right. So I think right. getting really good with telling stories and analogies will help you a lot um, and will help your patients a lot to understand what pain might be or what can be affecting their experience instead of telling them the whole tissue damage and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very important. So like in the reason why I think analogies work so well, obviously you can say humans like stories because they do. They love stories. But I also think like it takes out the the un, unintentional edge of the information that you're giving the sense of like, you know, tissue damage doesn't equal pain, so on and so forth. You can come off as like invalidating. You're kind of like, you know, you know, your problem doesn't matter because it doesn't really exist. It's all in your head. Like, in your that's head. like <laughs> that's kind of like what it'll come uh, off to as as the gen pop. Like this motherfucker is saying that I'm not in pain. Um, but when you start using analogies, then it's it kind of takes the edge off. You're still kind of yeah. covering your bases, but like it doesn't come off as uh, targeted, I guess is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Um I like I like analogies a lot. Uh what I was going across a lot with, you know, with military is their average sleep cycle is like two hours a night. Yeah. So they were just chronically sensitized to any foreign any foreign sensation, right? And just like you try to explain to them just like well, for me I always ask questions like I said, I plant seeds, like, you know, if if you feel like you're in a heightened state of alert, why do you think that? You know, why do you think that you are always kind of like wondering where the next stimulus is coming from and he goes like well okay i always feel like <laughs> i always feel like this when i don't get sleep and then that's co co covers the conversation like how much sleep you get at night it's like oh i've been getting about two to three hours of sleep for the last six years it's like how long have you been dealing with this like you know this musculoskeletal complaint in around the same timeline you know it's just kind of like well i don't want to do you know direct causation here but at least we all know that sleep's very important. And if we improve sleep, at the very least, you're going to be overall more healthy, yeah. at least more resilient to the pain that you're currently feeling if they're not directly related, like linked together. You know what I'm saying? And also, I think now that you mentioned sleep, uh, a tip for other students and new clinicians is that you don't got to cover all of your bases on the first single conversation because it's right. a lot. And it'll never mm -hmm. be perfect, but just focus on what you think it's more important for the patient. Um, but don't try to cover sleep and load management and stress and nutrition because that's a lot of information. Um, yeah. Just focus on some key points and go with it instead of trying to talk about everything. Because uh, honestly, if you listen more than you talk, it's probably better than just talking, mm -hmm. talking, and talking, and talking. That, that's a great point. Um, I was, I was going to say that if you are covering everything in in one day, it, not only are they not going to retain it, but think about if we're truly talking about the things, you know, like with diet, stress, exercise, sleep, these are all massive lifestyle changes, massive. And anything that happens fast isn't going to be around for long. And, and the idea here is if you're truly trying to make a change in this person's life, You need to do baby steps. There needs to be milestones. There needs to be a step-by-step -step process where it becomes habitual. Okay, I, I didn't even think about it. I started to do the thing you wanted me to do. All right, now on to the next thing. You know, it's that's the beauty of habit forming. But habits, there's good habits and bad habits. You need to cultivate an environment that flourishes the right one, you know? And that's, I think that's the beauty about our services or our business philosophy is that, yes, we have that first consult. You have that first consult with us, but you have 24-7 open communication with us. 
So if we don't hit everything on that first console, which by the way, we won't, you still can ask any questions that comes to mind today, tomorrow, next week. So mm -hmm. you have an open line of communication with us where you can learn literally anything. You want to learn about pain? You're going to learn about pain. You want to learn about how exercise, how you can prescribe exercises for your pain or function? Well, you're going to learn mm -hmm. that. Um, that's something that not a lot of rehab professionals or clinicians do. So I think that's a huge plus for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's if we're talking about the, the, the uniqueness of what we do compared to the prototypical or yeah, the, 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 what the rehab professionals out there now is I really think we take a lot of time to understand the person in front of us. It, when it comes down to it, my exercise selection is not only going to try to remedy the situ the, the situation that's currently going on, but I'm trying to put this into a lifestyle that you it's streamlined. It's the point where there is no resistance. You are going to do this and you're going to feel like I can handle more because that's where I want you to be. A lot of people are just like, oh, well, I want you to do three sets of 10. Uh, figure it out. It's just like, well, if this is a mother of two and she's finding every excuse not to do this for a reason, you are not helping this person. How about finding something that they're willing to do, even if it's not the most ideal thing to do, but it's a, it, once again, a building block to a better habit. Yeah. But People, people want the instant gratification as a clinician because every, I mean, you've been there. Everyone feels great yeah. when the person comes walking through the door saying, you healed me. You, I feel great, you know, and, but and you, know, you have to play but, the long game. Yeah, definitely. And that's also something that we take into consideration with our questionnaire. We always ask, um, how many sessions per week is ideal for you and how long do you prefer shorter sessions more times per week or do you prefer longer sessions less time per week i think mm -hmm. that's something that not a lot of people do we're giving out a lot of gems we should uh, charge people for this one no just kidding <laughs> by the way if you're a coach and you're interested in our questionnaire you can literally go to our link tree and check and you can even copy and paste our questionnaire if yeah. you want um go ahead. i think it's uh, it's a good one by the yeah. way i have like, a kind of one I have a new one strictly for injuries. I'll send it to you if okay. I think you can use it um, instead of the whole definitely use it. coaching, coaching. Uh, I spent a lot of time in it, so you can use it. Save yourself a couple hours. <laughs> the, um, what was I going to say with the, oh, went over my head. It's gone. It's gone forever. While you think about that, now that we're talking about this, I think that it, it has nothing to do with the topic. Nothing at all. But, I was speaking with a Puerto Rican last week that will start Cairo school. And he asked me what was my biggest tip for him. Um, and honestly, my biggest tip for him was nothing school related. And I told mm -hmm. him to learn about finances, learn about budgeting and try to find a part-time job or do something of your own and don't ask yep. for the max loans because that really helped me. And I know it really helped you. You work yeah. at the library and you did some coaching. I did coaching. We did stuff together. That stuff helped me a lot. I never asked for the bank's loans. And learning how to live frugally, I guess, um, and how to budget, it will help you a lot. Because you see a lot of people asking for the, the max loans and they go crazy and spend all of oh, this yeah. money and they're going to regret it. Uh, people underestimate the amount of or how much it can help you to make an extra thousand bucks per month or an extra 500 bucks per month 
Oh yeah. And, and, um, I'm a firm believer in this. Once again, this is more like lifestyle and business is when you have like a side hustle and you have something that's going on, that's helping supplement what's going on. It's not covering everything, but you know, you start to reframe it. Like how I like to think about it is like, I have all these expenses. Let's say I have Netflix. Let's say I have food. Let's say I have this, right? I start to look at whatever I'm making that month. And I say, what am I replacing? Okay. Now I don't have to pay for food anymore. If I keep this up because for me personally, like when I start knocking off my expenses and that mentally framing it like, like, like that is like because I can look at something like, oh, I made 500 bucks this month. And it's like, oh, that's not that much, you know. But when you start to reframe it saying I don't have to pay for groceries for this month, you start to think like, oh, wow, OK, 500 bucks goes a long way. So just a you know, just a cherry on top. What you just said is just like if you can build if you can build a business or a side hustle or just a part-time job that's eliminating a lot of your cost, um, you can go a long way. Now, what I would say is I would value starting a side hustle that you run yourself over a part-time job I was if say you that, can yeah. handle the stress because yeah. it could build from there, right? Exactly. You can always top, put on top of that. Exactly. I would prefer for you to start your own side gig on your own, your business, rather than right. work 20 hours at Target because you can make a lot of money working very few hours compared to mm -hmm. making, let's say, the same amount of money or a bit more maybe, but working 10 times more. Right. So, right. And also learn new skills. Um, like, for example, I mentioned this to you, but we had to learn how to do basic graphs for Strength Rehab, right? Yeah. Um, and last week, uh, I don't know where the guy, I think he's from Switzerland. Um, he posted on a group, on an online trainer group that I'm at on Facebook, uh, that he was looking for someone to do basic graphs. And dude, I'm kidding you not, it didn't take me more than five hours. Mm -hmm. And I made 700 bucks from learning how to do Canva posts. Nice. That's not something that I could do if it wasn't for this new skills that you and I learned through our page. Right. So it's it's easy, man. The business are out there. You just got to find the niche, I guess, or learn basic stuff and charge mm -hmm. people for it. Right. It's true. Uh, I think Fiverr, Fiverr does that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. They have a lot of like, you know, low key business trades that you can do and stuff like that. That's it. Yeah. I would, I would agree with all that. I would also say like, if you're not going to do, uh, if you're going to go the part-time town, part-time um, work route, I would just suggest once again, developing a skill, become a personal trainer. You're, you're yeah. not going to get that much money, but I'll tell you what. Well, you can get a lot of money. You yeah. sure can, but base rate, not that much money. Um, just everything we do as a clinician, let's say you're not even doing a rehab. Let's say we're not doing rehab. We're just doing a traditional chiropractic thing. The personal skills that you gain working with somebody one-on-one -on -one every time you get a client is, is irreplaceable. Yeah, honestly, you know? if I believe that the best side gig that you can have if you're in PT school or chiro school is being a, a personal trainer. I don't care if it's in-person training or online training. I would just get a certification. Even if it's the cheapest one, it doesn't matter. But start training people. It'll help you a lot, not only in exercise prescription, but on that communication. You'll, yep. you'll gain a lot of experience working and communicating with people. And if I had to recommend one job, it would definitely be start training people. <laughs> yep.
Yep. And it always, you can always build, you can always build on, on personal training because it's anything that evolves around clients. Your retention is you. It's you. I mean, obviously, you know, people run out of their goals or they don't want to pay for anymore. But if let's say all those uh, variables are in line with each other, the retention is, am I getting value from this patient or from this coach rather? Um, that, that, that's all on you. You know, you also learn your style and what you like and dislike. For example, right. I've been working with more clients the last couple of months and I wouldn't want to have, let's say, 20 clients at the same time where I do weekly programming. <laughs> I would hate right, my life. Right. Um, so I can do uh, 5, 10 clients weekly programming. But if I can do like that said, quote unquote, rehab program where you program four or 12 weeks in advance and you just have open communication with them instead of. Yeah programming week after week after week that can get um really fatiguing i would say right i'm like oh shit and it's basically the same thing you don't change a lot do right. a couple yeah. more reps with the same weight <laughs> that's it so for me i i have a general uh, idea of how i'm going to progress the client if everything is status quo um and i'll have it already pre-made like but what i'll do is i'll release it weekly i know that takes a little bit more time but it, you get the tailoring effect, you know, like, oh, this person's tailoring my programs. And I am, I am tailoring it because I still ask you, like, is everything good? Um, but yeah, yeah, I, that's how I kind of offload that a little bit. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Just I guess I, I agree when you have like 20, 20 clients, it's kind of like, whew, I got to yeah, even copying and pasting takes a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you'll find your flow. You're going to learn your style and what you want to do in the future. So, yeah, go ahead and be a PT for a couple of years. I agree. I, I have a Palmer student that f took my advice um, during he went in during COVID, believe it or not. During COVID, he got a PT job. And he's actually, it seems like he's doing well. And the thing is, is like now he's going to school at a minimum basis without getting in trouble and then working on the side. And I feel like from what I'm seeing and what he's telling me, he's learning much more on how to be a good clinician than what he's learning through the books. And you, you know? will also learn time management skills and all of that, which is un invaluable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's... um. It's kind of the idea of like, you know, if you put a paper off to the last minute, like let's say you only have an hour to do a paper, you're going to do it in an hour where some people will put it off or do it really uh, soon and then they'll spend like three hours on it. Um, that's not me saying procrastinate and learn or procrastinate and figure it out. But um, the idea of when you take away time, you really figure out what you can do in that time. You know, procrastination kind of tells you you have an hour left. Um, you, you got to see what you can do in that hour. So what I, that's kind of how I do it. I block off time and I say, all right, you have this much time to get it done. If you don't get it done, move on, you know? Yeah. And, and I also think that something that we should say on air is that I don't care what you guys think. It is definitely doable to work while you're in school. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, I'm not here to brag, but you and I are graduating top of our class. And not only did you work at the library, not only did we start a business, not only with the podcast content creation and work as coaches we we had more than enough time doing all yep. of those things while still being top of our class it's not like we were yep. failing or something so if you have your priority to set up correctly and you have good time management skills trust me that you will have more than enough time to do your business do whatever you want and have fun time 
the I think what I would say is on top of that, and if anybody says like, oh, well, maybe you guys are just smart. Maybe you guys just retain information fast. What I would say is this, is if you are engaging with the content where you ha- are reading it and understanding it and applying it as you're learning it, you will not have to relearn it again. And in our schooling, it is unbearably redundant. It's just like, oh, we're going to learn about the same pathology again. Now it's how it presents in the patient. I already conceptualized this back in quarter like two. Yeah. You know? And if you study a little, a couple hours every day, you're not even going to have to study the, the day before pro- the, the exams because you already mm-hmm. know everything. Yep. It's, um yeah, I mean, we covered a little bit of what we would do, but I think that's, at the end of the day, it was such a broad uh, topic because it's all individualized. Yeah, and it's tough to say how a first consult or eval should look like because everybody's different. Um, So if you have specific questions, feel free to DM us and we'll be more than happy to DM you. And if it's hard to do the true text, we, we can hop on a call and explain, but I hope we covered at least a bit. The details. Uh, we threw out a lot. If they didn't get the actual topic, they got a lot of information that they can definitely utilize into their life immediately. They learned you know? that they should start working. Yeah, they should start working. They should start getting their shit together. And you should also, while you're at it, follow Strength Rehab Podcast. If you're listening to this, please just click on the button. It takes a second, okay? And it helps us out tremendously. And also, as Raul already said, if you have any questions, let us know. But also, If you want to hear about anything in particular, the reason why we talked about this today is because somebody reached out and said, y'all should talk about this. And guess what? We talked about it. So think of us as your personal information. Huge shout out to Ryan Garrett. I hope I said your last name right. Thank you for the question. You gave us a topic. Garrett? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I don't have it in front of me. It's close enough. Shout outs. We'll we'll, we'll tag them. We'll tag them in the story story drop. Sounds good. All right. I'm going to hit this button here. 